0: Hi, I'm Kim Polishuk, And I'm Jen Giffen from Shoots and Giff, the podcast. podcast. A part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey, you may remember my four-part interview with David Mileto. That's episodes 269, 271, 277, and 280. We talked about his Italian heritage, we told some family stories, he talked about his artwork, and we focused on his growing up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, he's now published a book called Images of an Idea Lost, the story of his ill-fated 25-year relationship with Linda. Go to his website, davidmaletto.com, or Apple Books to get a copy today. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and I have an amazing interview for you today. Stacey Walters-Nava, who is the president of the model railroad manufacturer William K. Walters Incorporated. She is the company's fourth president. She followed her father, who followed his father, and who followed his father. And that Walters is the one who founded the company in 1932, her great-grandfather. So cool. Join us as we talk about how model railroading can help engage kids in learning. It's a natural fit with all subjects, especially STEAM. By the way, see what we did there? STEAM? Yeah. (laughs) Lots to learn today. This is so much fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. And you will too. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy.
0: listening to teaching learning leading k-12
1: a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams and now here's steve with this week's show stacy walters nafa is the president of the model railroad manufacturer william k walters incorporated stacy is the company's fourth president she followed her father, Phil Walters, who has been with the company since 1972. He succeeded his father, Bruce, as president in 1984, and was elected to the Hobby Manufacturers Association Model HMA Railroad Hall of Fame in 2010. The company was founded by Bruce's father, William K., in 1932. So if you, if you figure out that math there, what's really cool is that uh, Stacy's great-grandfather, grandfather, father, and now Stacy. And that's the four presidents. So awesome. This is so cool. Stacey is a graduate of Boston College and earned her master's of business administration at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, where she studied best practices in operating multi-generational family businesses and entrepreneurship. She has been with the company for nine years, most recently as vice president of sales and marketing. She is a past president of the Model Railroad Division of the HMA and is the current president of World's Greatest Hobby Incorporated, a nonprofit industry organization that exists to promote model railroading. Stacey, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone.
0: Hi, thanks so much for having me, Stephen. It's a real honor.
1: Well, this is so cool having you here. We're going we're gonna to talk about how model railroading fits with education, and we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the company and uh, a little bit about the history of model railroading. And first, I got to tell you, even though I've never owned any more than Thomas the Tank Engine type stuff, and I uh, uh, um, have lots of friends who build uh, build trains that I go around and stand around and hang out around, and uh, some hobby stores, especially at Christmas time, which I love, love trains. They, uh, I've always loved, loved them. There's nothing like being near a train when it rumbles through a crossing, amazing power. You know, there's a bunch of railroad songs that I can't get enough of. And by the way, when I was getting these questions together, if anyone would have walked by my office, they would have heard all these, <laughs> nothing but a continuous um, flowing of railroad songs from the past. So, uh, so they're a little curious about what's going on in my world right now, but <laughs> what what's happening with that man? <laughs> But uh, anyway, you know, I, you know, I, I can't think that's him.
0: pretty fun. That combines a lot of fun stuff all in one.
1: Well, it definitely does. And, you know, there's, there's songs out there that uh, ring to mind when we're talking about uh, model railroads, like Johnny Cash's Casey Jones and Roy Clark's Orange Blossom Special and Roy Acuff's, Acuff singing the Wabash Cannonball. And, you know, I've I just always enjoyed model railroads. And uh, you come from a long line of model train enthusiasts. Could you talk a little about growing up with the family business being model trains?
0: Sure. So I've been around the business my entire life, which has been really neat. Uh, Being in a multi-generational family business though, it is interesting that, uh, Oftentimes the business isn't at the dinner table. So we definitely kept most of our trains at work um, when you get into the third and fourth generation. So I have to admit, don't tell anybody that I, I was not an active enthusiast myself growing up in model trains. I was interested in some other stuff. However, um, I was around the business my whole life and I've always been in awe of what people create with the products that we produce and that we, and that we supply and, uh, it's really been fun to participate in the ways that I have over the years. But um, that, that was always in the family business, just whatever you were qualified to do. So I was a stucker, and I worked in our distribution center. I worked on our catalog. So my involvement in the family business was where, where I was qualified to work. And then up until actually 11 years ago, I came back to work in the business as an actual career. So I've really gotten to know the business and the hobby a lot better in those 11 years than I did in in uh, the years prior to that, but always been very proud to be part of the Walther's family in this business.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So do you have did you do you have a favorite job that you did while um, coming forward over the years?
0: Oh boy, each one of them was really interesting. Such a good learning experience. And I do think that, you know, best practice in family business would say that, you know, kind of no special favors for the kid. So uh, I think that's something that's passed from generation to generation. So I think the things that I learned in each of my jobs I've taken value from. I think my favorite job probably is the one I have now, though, to be able to steer the company towards the future and especially one that integrates some of my love my loves and passions, which frankly, um, education is one of them. So it's a really, really neat to be where we are today and see an opportunity for a kind of a storied, you know, quote unquote, older hobby to maybe reinvent itself for the future. So I find that very fun.
1: Very cool. Very cool. The, uh, yeah, so I do have, you know, one of the things I, I've i always grown up around just this thought of having um, something that I saw in the, in the 1970s, there were these TV shows um, that were a series like Columbo, and uh, there was Ellery Queen, and there were all these, these, um, you know, something happens, and then you had the detective, the private eye, or whatever that goes out to try and solve it. And I'll never forget this Ellery Queen episode, which had a train that ran throughout the house, <laughs> and it would uh, just appear in different areas, kind of like the the one from Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, where it just kind of just moved around through the house, and and mm-hmm. it turned out to be a big, uh, you know the way to solve the crime in that case. But it, it's always something I always dreamed of is like, that would be so cool to have something like that. But yeah, that one's not happening. I think my wife uh, kind of decided that's not a good, I, you know, I really, you want to train throughout the house. <laughs> so. Anyway.
0: Well, I could talk to her and convince her otherwise.
1: <laughs> I may have to have that conversation take place. <laughs> At least you have to get it start. <laughs> the, uh, so. Well, can she you, can
0: have fun too. It's not just you.
1: There we go. I like that. That, you can convince her of that, then we're good, because that would be, uh, it wouldn't be would just be my thing. I like that. So, so can you share some information on Walther's and their role in the industry?
0: Sure. Um, here at Walther's, we're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we, like you said, were founded in 1932. Um, we were started actually in the Depression, which is very interesting to think about now, given what's going on in our economy. Um, but my great-grandfather had another business, and it actually wasn't doing so well. And he was, by training, an electrical engineer. It's very interested in trains, and he started writing and doing some um, sharing of information about how you could uh, make your model railroad work better than it was before. So he started sharing information, and then people were so interested in the information that he was um, That he was supplying that he actually started making some product. So over time, we've been making product, but we've also been distributing product uh, to help people make miniature worlds. So essentially what we are today is we're North America's largest producer and distributor of model railroad equipment and we do supply hobby shops in the U.S. and all over the globe and we also sell direct to consumers on our own website and through our mail order catalog and then we also do supply Amazon so we have our own branded product in our Walther's name so we make everything from high-end locomotives that are digitally controlled all the way down to little figures and we've got track and building kits and scenery and Um, everything in between, really, um, in our own Walther's brands, and then we supply over 200 lines of other people's stuff, so other brands of model railroad equipment um, to help model railroaders and others who just like to make miniature worlds uh, be able to have all the things that they need. So we do a lot of stuff, and we also publish a catalog, uh, which we call the reference book, and it's actually a 1,000 pages to help kind of give inspiration to people on how to, um, get started, how to, um, to see what's available to them. So it's kind of, it harkens back to those original days of my great grandfather providing information to modelers. We consider ourselves to be a really good resource, um, for product information, um, and have really carried that, that value through all four generations and through to this day.
1: That's awesome. The, uh, you know and that, that is interesting about it. Uh, about uh, your great grandfather starting it during the the depression, which I can imagine it, uh, um, even though possibly having struggles in the beginning, probably was a good escape. Um, having yeah. the trains and such.
0: Let's see, 88 years later, it's still, still chugging along. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very awesome, very just so cool. The uh, so. Let's talk a little bit about this. What What's a common misconception about ma- uh, model railroading that uh, you encounter, that you run into?
0: One of the things I think is the most common misconception Perception is that it's not for me, quote unquote, even the comment about your wife thinking it's not for her. Um, admittedly, you know, growing up as a female, I, I don't feel like I was invited to participate in the hobby. Um, so I guess the misperception would be that it's, you know, it's not for me or it couldn't be fun or I couldn't find value in it. Um, I, I hope that that's not one that continues on, but I do think it exists or the idea that it's just for kind of older people or older men um, and that it's kind of an older stodgy hobby that doesn't integrate technology, that it's like an either or, either you're doing you know, high tech or you're doing model trains. Well, those two things are very integrated and have been, frankly, since the beginning of our hobby. So um, just as technology advances, so has our hobby um, and the integration of technology and intangible uh, you know, and, and things um, have kind of, they've moved together and, and evolved over time. So there's a bunch of misperceptions, um, but those are the ones that come to the top of my mind.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And I I could see all that. That's, and just, just as a side note, cause my wife would shoot me if, uh, <laughs> if I left them, that it's that she doesn't like model raised. No, it has more to do with me putting more stuff around the house. All right. <laughs>
0: Oh, I totally get it. We actually have an affectionate term we call to some of our, and we do. And, and in fairness, we, our hobby is predominantly enjoyed by by men. So in fairness, but we do affectionately refer to the real estate committee um, as oftentimes, uh, you know, the, the modeler's wife. I have to take this up with the real estate committee to get some additional square footage to run my trains. And the idea of putting it through walls is definitely something that has to get approved by the real estate committee. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I I am going to use that term from now on because I, I build a lot of plastic models, uh, airplanes and uh, World War II type aircraft and things like that, modern jets, and and uh, I have my real estate camped out in the and I'm slowly taking over more of the garage. So uh, see, it's maybe next is putting the hole in the it, wall in a train tunnel. Know,
0: it is a realist. <laughs> it is actually, you know what? One of the misperceptions I missed that one is that I don't have space for it. Frankly, a lot of people say, you know, I, I don't have space for it, so I can't do it. Well, if you're going to make a giant railroad that goes through all the rooms, sure, maybe you don't have that, but you can make tiny, you can make small dioramas and still have fun, or you can join a club and have your layout be at your club. Uh, you don't have to actually have it in your house. So, I actually, I would bring that forward as another of the misperceptions on our hobbies, that no, no real estate available.
1: I'm I going to remember that term forever now. I'm going to be using it. <laughs> I, I like that. Good. So, so let's talk about model railroading itself. How did it, how did model railroading get started? And, you know, did it really have a golden age and, and talk a little bit about its popularity today?
0: So I, um, the history of model railroading, I had to actually consult one of my, my, you know, resident experts to get a little bit more on that to make sure I was representing that correctly. But um, my my team member and my understanding is that really model trains have have been made as toys almost since there were trains so in the mid 1800s but the availability of small electric motors around 1900 made electric model trains possible so by like the 1920s adult hobbyists were using electric model trains to create the first model railroads and that's when clubs started to form and uh, frankly some of the early fascination with um, adult hobbyists was combining high tech and their interest in trains so high tech at the time obviously different (laughs) than what we consider high tech today but one could argue and this was interesting one of my colleagues said you know one could argue that in terms of variety and quality of products that today is really the golden age for the modeler because they're able to do so much but really i think um what you know, what he indicated is, by the mid 1930s, electric trains were hugely popular, um, and lots of big exhibition layouts were being built. Um, and then there was the the challenge of the Depression and World War II. You know, they they both constrained demand. Um, so by the end of the war, so like 1946 through 55 is really kind of, if you were looking backwards for a golden age, that was when people would really, you know, kind of say that that was the golden age. Um, and then, you know, from, you know, the fifties and sixties and seventies, you know, trains when a very popular toy for, for boys, much like bikes and baseball gloves and, uh, I think that, you know, we've probably seen a little bit of a fading of it as, as different technologies have taken a hold. And so I would say, you know, those backwards looking days were definitely, it was far more ubiquitous. And that idea of the technology and the, and the physical toy coming together, model trains was, would have been a primary um, consideration back then. Now I think with the iPhones and everything and video games and all the things that existed, I think we kind of faded out for a little while in the popular culture. Um, however, I would argue that we're kind of coming back um, in that I know I've got teenagers and I want them off their phones and I want them off of video games and I think that there's a general hunger for that amongst parents and, and others that has brought it back. And we're certainly seeing that um, now with so many people having to stay home, uh, people are choosing to do uh, things like, like our hobby with their time. So long roundabout answer, but I think that, uh, you know, we're, we might be entering a new one. That's my hope, at least.
1: It's very cool. You know, it's, uh, I, I know I, you know, something I left out of my own story is that my, my father was fascinated by trains and, and, uh, part of it goes back to the fact that at the same time that your great grandfather was building the company, uh, my, my father was working in the train yards in Chicago in the roundhouse and he greased wheels. He worked underneath the trains and greased the wheels. And so by the time I'm a, I come around in the early sixties, um, he had his own, Sets of trains and, um, and different race car type tracks that are integrated with each other, and so what 's really cool is that you do talk about i mean the technology of the past it still was pretty strong I mean the being able to change the tracks and be able to sh- you know the, to shift where the trains go and uh, and today I, I see some of them where they, they actually have cameras inside the tunnels, so you can watch the trains go through the cam the tunnels and uh, come out the other side and, and uh, determine which trains go where or when and all kinds of stuff like that when you program, which I think is awesome. So
0: yeah, the digitally controlled train, uh, the DCC operating system allows people to operate miniature railroads just as the real railroads are operated. And that is actually a sub segment of our hobby of people who really do enjoy that. And they've got roles and responsibilities. And oftentimes they are people, um, you know, like your family member who worked in the railroad and they love the operation of the, of the trains, um, you know, as, as primary in their hobby. So yeah, you can do lots of cool things and you can change scale speed and you can put lights on and horns and all sorts of different things. And it's a, uh, it's a neat, it's a neat aspect of our, of our hobby.
1: Very cool. So, so what makes model railroading different from other types of hobbies?
0: You know what? I think that our hobby integrates so many things all in one place. So I know that, uh, you know, this isn't, you're you're speaking to educators and STEAM and STEM are definitely going to come up, um, you know, in our conversation, but I really see that we have so many things that converge all in one place. So I think that's pretty unique for us. I think that um, it also teaches some soft skills that are just really needed to create human connections. Um, where you know, teams come together and somebody might be really good at one part of the hobby and somebody's really good at the other ho- part of the hobby and they come together to create a common, um, a common output that, that is better. Uh, So my example would be somebody is excellent at laying track or somebody is really good at the wiring, you know, to make the trains run. But somebody else is really good at the scenery. You know, you might be good at all of it, but you might not. And you can come together and you can learn from other people or you can join a club and you can participate together. Um, I also think that the things that you can learn through it and the way that it's experienced is very individual. Some people are building worlds that are imaginary you know, just the way that they wish the world was. Um, some people are operating the world exactly as they loved it at a certain point in time, you know, when they were younger or, um, you know, I have a colleague who actually has a layout that's 1982 in Milwaukee in the fall. I mean, wow. how specific can you get? So honestly, and especially in the world that we're living in right now, that feels a little out of control. I feel like our, Hobby gives the opportunity for some solace where people are creating a world that works exactly the way that they want it to, or looks exactly the way they want it to, or the way that they wished it did. Um, so I think that's pretty special.
1: That's that's awesome. It's it it is cool what you're talking about because I've I've seen those where they've created their own their own hometowns or you know, the the mountain is an exact replica that they've built based upon the mountain that uh, they always saw as a kid in the background of their town or, you know, and it's just, it's just so neat. And uh, one of the things I think is really cool is that usually depending on how much time they spend with it, there's some story behind some of the stores and things like this, that, uh, there's, that they're not just there for look or something. Um, there's, there's something that has meaning to them. And I think that's pretty cool. So,
0: well, it's highly creative too. I mean, and you know, many hobbies are creative Um, But I think that what you just described is, you know, it could be a creative expression of a place that they loved or was important to them, or it could be something completely imaginary. I know that we've got some mix of both on our layout in our showroom here in Milwaukee, you know, we've got flying pigs and a at, at walker from star wars nice. and a shark there's just some really unusual things going on on there nice. that are kind of a lot of fun but at the same time you know it's very prototypically accurate you know in other ways so i think that creativity of expression um you know is great about a lot of hobbies but we certainly um enable you to express that in a lot of ways not the least of which is with motion and with three dimension
1: very cool Let's talk some about model railroading now and education. You know, what role can it play in teaching students? You know, let's talk a little bit about the subjects that it connects with the most.
0: So I have to bring forward um, you know, the STEAM concept uh, for sure, and then I would add to that. So I'll I'll lead with the ones that are not in the in the STEAM acronym, but um, history is a huge part of what we do. I mean, railroads are so critically important to how our country came together, that you can, um, you there's unending things you can learn about the, tra- I mean, starting with the transcontinental railroad or how goods move in, across the country, how they did move, how they do move. So there's economics in there. Um, there is transportation. There's just a lot of practical applied information that the way that the world works, um, frankly, that's not necessarily a, a subject per se. But um, I would probably lump that in, you know, history or um, just kind of current events and and economics, even even sociology, like how cities developed, you know, around railroads and around rivers. And it's it, so I think those are some really interesting ones. I think there are soft skills that are really important, when uh, my kids and I built a layout when they were a lot younger, and just the sheer planning process of taking a clean sheet of paper, having to agree with one another, having to prioritize and say, okay, I want a lake there, and you want a, you know, a a mountain there, how are we going to navigate that that difference of opinion, and how are we going to come up with something that we can agree on? You have to make a plan before you start working. So I think that that's really interesting. Even the concept of planning can be really great at all ages um, for education. Then I think that how do you actually execute on a plan is also very interesting. I think how you actually cooperate to make your plan into reality is very important. And those soft skills of being able to see, well, you might be a little bit better at that than me, and and together we can work to a common end, I think those are so valuable for kids, frankly, of all ages, not, not, uh, not to forget adults can benefit from that lesson as well. So those are some things before I even get into the STEAM concept, because um, there's a lot of science, technology, engineering, math, and art. I mean, it truly is an art, what people are doing with, with our subject matter. Um, so I don't know if you want to go into the steam concept, but those are the those are the topics that come to the the top of my mind um, in answering your question.
1: Oh, I love it, and yeah, we're gonna step we're gonna go right into steam here in just a second. But before we go there, because I love the fact you brought up history. I'm a former history teacher. I, I taught uh, my favorite uh, time frames were uh, U.S. and world history, and the the world uh, the train made such an impact on on the world and connecting people uh, and you know establishing communication and uh, and just connecting people that so before it would have taken you know forever to get in touch with one another suddenly there was uh although it still took a while compared to today it uh you know, the world was much more connected and it's played such an incredible role just in our own country alone and you can't uh you can't see the expansion of our country without uh running into the uh, the role that the railroad play in. and that's so i have a personal bias which is that whole history role just there alone so very cool they and i have to I have to say the artistry that's involved in it because we're going to talk about mechanics and stuff and art falls into the steam um uh, words as well but i've seen some just amazing like towns mock-ups mountains hillsides i mean just that I sit there and watch and it's it's just amazing that what somebody has built and taken the time to construct and and I know a lot of um game players like uh role play you know in some of these same hobby shops just in the other side of the hobby shop there's there're kids that have built these elaborate uh you know Star Wars scenes or something like that that also stop by and look at what the the railroaders have built so I think that's it has that attraction there it's like look at this cool we could we could add our ad at, at into the.
0: Yeah, for sure. You can integrate them.
1: Milwaukee, in 1982, <laughs> or whatever.
0: Why not? In my world, that's how it would work.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So, so let's. All right. So let's go. I've kept you off the subject long enough. Let's. You know, I recently read an article from the National Science Teaching Association a blog called "Build." the The article was called "Building Steam with Model Railroads." Nice little pun there. And uh, um, steam for the listeners: S T E A M. So we're talking about the uh, acronym for in dealing with education. How do you think that different elements of model railroading really fit well into uh, STEAM when we're talking about education? So
0: I just think we have such a unique opportunity to um, offer applied learning. And I, I actually have to back up and let you know that my mom is an educator. And has been an educator for her whole life. So I have a deep appreciation for educator. I was also a camp counselor. So I've worked with kids a lot. So I, I do have a, and I've, I've got two of my own anyways. So I think applied learning where you, sometimes you don't feel like it's an eat, eat your peas kind of a learning. It's a, we're, we're learning while we're doing something that we're enjoying, um, is always very interesting. And, um, with the acronym I almost I, I have to start with the M of STEAM first because I really think that math is such a huge part of what we do and not in an eat your peas way. Because model railroading out of the get go, you have to choose what scale you're working in. So scale mathematics from the start is when you're making something into a scale version of itself. I mean, that's what we're doing all the time in creating our product to make it look real. Um, So it's, you know, just in the size of the things that you're looking at, and there are multiple scales in model railroading, so we predominantly handle HO scale. Um, And uh, anyways, you have to make your whole world work together, and it all has to be to scale. So I would start there. I think you can really expand on that. You can go to scale speed. You can do all sorts of interesting calculations um, with scale, and you can actually illustrate that through a model railroad. I'll probably pop back up to us with the science. I think there's physics and there's motion. There's figuring out how engines work. You know, how does a steam engine work versus a diesel engine. Um, there's electricity, like I said, um, and this pops over to engineering, but my you know, great grandfather actually all my great grandfather grandfather and father were all engineers. Um, and uh, my great-grandfather was an electrical engineer. So electricity, currents, circuitry, all that um, is something that you can demonstrate through model railroading. Um, my father is a mechanical engineer. So like you were saying, there's a lot of mechanical things that are going on inside of our product um, that you can deconstruct. And you can also study the the prototype or the actual, you know, large-scale, um, you know, train, which is interesting to kind of... Figure out how the world, how trains work in the real world. Um, technology. I think I indicated earlier. We've got you know digital command and control, and people can operate. Like I was saying, to scale speed, digitally they can interact with their trains. You can run them off of iPads and iPhones. So there's all sorts of interesting tech there. I think people are doing some. I think kids are doing interesting things um, with Arduino and. figuring out how to make trains move probably in different ways than we're imagining they're doing it. So I think there's a lot of ingenuity that can be taught there. Um, Once they have the basic components, they can play with it any way they want. Um, And then I do think this, um, you know, art, if you've ever looked at a beautiful model railroad or even some of the ones that aren't as beautiful, um, there's a big art to actually determining scale and proportion and figuring out how things look. If you're trying to create a scene that looks real, you have to do gradations of color, figuring out scenery, um, you know, weathering. People are painting their models um, to make them look like they've got graffiti on them or like they've gone through a dust storm or, you know, um, so there's just no end of, oh, people are painting backdrops. Um, So I think that there's just kind of an infinite number of expressions artistically they can do, um, with our hobby.
1: I, and I totally agree with you. I, I look at some of them and first of all, if you want to, uh, um, yeah, just the, the detail that some go into, like I've seen one where, you know, you're, you're like, wait a second, I've seen the trains where the smoke's coming from. Why is there smoke coming up from over there? And it turns out that it's someone barbecuing in a backyard. And so it's literally a little model that has a little barbecue with a little smoke coming out of it. And it's like, what the heck? That's so cool. And and of course the, the person can't be like Godzilla size. It has to fit in with the backyard and all that. And to figure out the proportions like that, the, the, the sizes is just uh, that, that's, that's a love for the, the hobby and the, and the detail you know, and it's funny because the person who I said it to who was standing there, who was the person who created it all, loved the fact that I noticed the guy grilling <laughs> <laughs> and smoke coming out of the barbecue grill so <laughs> well,
0: that's the special artistry and the, and the frankly and then you've got fun and you know when you're teaching kids you gotta have some fun right like yes. <laughs> so i think that if you can allow some fun and they can create um you know worlds or little scenes that are of interest to them they're going to be really engaged so i think that having engaging topics and subject matter and actual um you know and i'm um, looking for the word but you know it's not a visual aid but something tangible you can hold in your hands i think those are good combinations especially for experiential learners i've got two different learners in my house Uh, my daughter is an experiential learner she has to hold stuff she has to be experiencing it my son is definitely much more of a visual learner he can kind of get stuff quickly Um, but I think that there's a real stickiness to the learning when you're um, experiencing it as deeply as you are when you're building something. And I I will add, we actually did a really neat project as this 501c3 organization, the, the world's greatest hobby. We worked with an education team at Discovery World here in Milwaukee, which is our science center, and they created a summer camp that we executed last summer. And instead of leading with model railroading, they actually framed up um, their entire curriculum for the week um, as design your own city. So it was junior high kids. Uh, we had about 15 of them and they worked together to do kind of that planning part um, where they, you know, had to create a city and figure out where things were going to go and, um, and they created a small module. Over the course of the week, and they were able to work together to build their own. And then they built the building kits, and they came up with their own way to do scenery. And and by the end of the week, they had they had built their own little city, and they had learned um, some of that uh, the kind of the dynamics that go into building cities outside of their module as part of the curriculum. So. There's a lot of ways you could frame it up creatively for your students. If for some reason they weren't interested in railroads,
1: I I see so many possibilities because you know just like uh, everything from the you know we've I've kind of taken us getting us stuck on the artistry because that's such a cool thing the the amount of detail that goes into it. But the science and math that's uh, all there. The technology is especially today. But I mean, even if you're just talking about the electrical circuits that are involved in making it happen making the train move you know and mm-hmm. that in itself is a big deal and then being able to understand what you have to do if the train stops working and how you go about fixing it and and you know there's just so many t- sorts of uh, uh areas there to help engage kids that i i think that uh, you know any aspect of it could become something that sparks an idea for for them to become not only in, more interested in the uh the hobby itself, but also in in trains and the engineering behind uh, uh, the way we use trains in the world. So, it's really cool. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, um, we talked about is that you mentioned the uh, the world's greatest uh, hobby. Program. It, there are there are lots of ways for people to get in, in, involved. Can, can we talk about that just a minute? What what's the best way to get started in model rail, railroading? Do you have any suggestions for somebody?
0: Well, I definitely think is just start anywhere, right? Just just get started. See what's interesting to you. Um, but the traditional way of starting is starting with a set. Just get a regular train set that has a loop of track and a power pack and a locomotive and some cars. That just um, and oftentimes people start you know, with a, a set around their Christmas tree, right? Or um, they just try get a set for, you know, for a gift for a, for a holiday. That's a great place to start. Um, uh, but if you want to learn beyond that, um, I think that there's so many resources out there. Uh, we certainly, on our website, on com we have a getting started section. Uh, there are also great magazines and books and YouTube videos. So I believe that if you searched the thing that you were particularly interested in, you would probably find a wealth of information to kind of help direct you. But the Getting Started page on our website and also the World's Greatest Hobby website, which is greatesthobby.com, I believe, uh, those are really good places to start. And actually, they help explain things that I've been talking about, like scale, and helps work you through the decision tree of, you know, what scale should I be using? what, What are some of the questions I should be asking myself as I want to get started. Um, Our reference book, which is this giant, um, you know, 1,000-page catalog, is also a great resource um, because it kind of gives you the totality, but then you can self-serve. You can kind of look at it at the pace that you want um, to look at it because I think sometimes people are just a little overwhelmed with our hobby and they think they have to make something that looks like a museum quality layout in order to enjoy it and I would argue you do not at all you can make a small kit a small diorama you can make a you know put it on your ping-pong table and leave it up for a while and put some pre-made buildings use your kids Lego buildings if you want to and and just have some fun with it we we even have a uh, under the Bed, you know, under the bed, kind of trundle layout in our our showroom using my son's old trundle bed um, nice. helps with the real estate committee. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I think just start, just start having fun and let the let your child self direct or um, you start learning on your own. And and I do believe that there's there's just so it's kind of a choose your own adventure novel. So you kind of have to see what's interested interesting to you. And um, we're always very happy to be a resource to people as they're getting started.
1: Very cool. So that also brings me to what I want to add to that is that uh, any advice for a, a teacher or a, a building principal that might want to get uh, her or his teachers uh, looking at it, or a teacher that's thinking about, yeah, I'd like to be able to bring this in. Where where would you send them to get started? You know, because you do have lots of resources on your website. You got a cool YouTube channel. You got all kinds of things going on there. What what would you say to you know where where would you Tell an educator to go, I mean
0: right now, I would say i 'm sorry that we don 't have more for you right now, <laughs> but we 're working on it, so I think you you I kind of direct you in the same way that I answered my last question and know that we 're here to answer those questions as we go along, and frankly. We're really looking for some educators to help guide us on this effort. So if you're an educator and you want to raise your hand and say, hey, I think that I've got a neat idea or I've been doing this with my students, we're very interested in hearing that. So, you know, call us, send us an email, uh, reach out to us and let us know. Um, One of the quickest paths right now um, that I can confidently say for an educator is that this world's greatest hobby curriculum Uh, that we developed together with Discovery World is something that is available should somebody be interested in in, um, taking a look at it. So that's why we developed it the way that we developed it. It's supposed to be flexible enough to be able to be used by others. Currently it hasn't been used by anybody else because we just executed it last year and we've been kind of trying to think about how we want to move that out into the education space. Um, But my hope is that we'd have other science centers that would be interested in picking that camp up and they would be able to execute in a way that is authentic to them. And then, you know, for local educators, they could work with their local science centers and perhaps deal with some of the issues that might um, be related to budget constraints or space. Um, or tool availability but here at Walther's and as president of the world's greatest hobby I will tell you that this is something that we're very committed to and to figuring out and um, if your educators who are listening to this podcast want to be a part of that journey with us we'd we'd welcome uh, their insight.
1: Very cool so that'll be a uh, to all the listeners, you know, in just a little bit, we'll get some contact information, and you make sure to follow up on that, because I'm sure we got somebody listening out there who is biting at the bit right now to to give you some ideas, so uh, uh, very cool. So hopefully we can generate that, uh, that conversation there. That would be awesome.
0: I-, I have a high level of respect for your ability to engage with your students, and I know that we know our stuff over here as it relates to model trains, and I have a, a sense of how to do it, but you all know how to do it best, so... Uh, we really, frankly, that's kind of a link in our, in our chain that we haven't fully developed yet. Well,
1: that's, it's cool that you're working on that because I think it has a lot of potential because there's, I, I I'm going to go back to that word. It, first of all, the, the hobby itself has this, uh, this attraction to it that, you know, a lot of people sit there and go, wow, if, that's so cool. If I could do this, if I could, I could do that. And, uh, and, it, but, and what that leads to for a classroom is, you know, that the big E word, which is, you know, it's engaging. It's, you know, the, the thoughts of, you know, just about how to make, you know, when you're talking about the the program that uses the the tablets and so forth to try and make, uh, to make it work or whatever. Uh, you know, I've seen some systems where it's so intricate because certain things leave at certain times and move at different ways and crisscross. And if it's not working right, <laughs> they're going to run into each other. And, uh, I just think that's cool. So that and there's
0: doing that in the, in the real world is, is bad. In the, in the miniature world, you know, it could cause some damage, but it's not that bad. Yes. Well, <laughs> so you can experiment and make some mistakes. It's okay.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, so I have to share, I have to share this story from my childhood, which is I, the friend who had all the trains and I had AFX cars. And so when you combine the two, he, he, he thought, you know, it'd be pretty cool if we could make it swear. The car went across the train you know, jumped the train. All right. And so that's what we were trying to do is make it go fast enough. So there would be no track and it would go up and over the train. There was a lot of derailing the train happening. <laughs> so.
0: mm-hmm. That actually, we used to have a product that actually was a race set and uh, race set and train set that would intersect. Nice. And I got plenty and you are not alone almost everybody does that (laughs) (laughs) who played with that but what i will tell you is that there is a group called operation lifesaver that would remind all of us that that is not how it works in the real world the train always wins in the real world so you can play with that in the in the miniature world but do not try that in the real world so every time we brought that product out we inevitably had somebody from operation lifesaver who made sure we reminded everybody to be safe
1: i can imagine i can imagine yes because um, it's it lends itself to the unsafe fract- <laughs> the, the try to see what happens if.
0: <laughs> oh, it, and uh, let me tell you, it is a consistent behavior. I even watched a, a, a police officer do that at to- New York Toy Fair once. And I said, hey, you're supposed to be following the rules. He's like, but this is fun. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: awesome. Well, I'm glad to know that I'm not in that alone. So we're good. You're not alone. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nice. So I, I do have to ask this question. So I, I know that you said that in the beginning that, uh, you know, business was kept separate from family and all that, but did you, do you have like a special memory that it, that's a kind of attached to trains or a favorite train that you like, or, or just the, a, a certain model or something like that? Is there something you got that you could share with us?
0: Yeah, I absolutely love the Milwaukee Road. Um, We did a Milwaukee Road name train. So we do these beautiful passenger trains um, almost every year. We've become very well known for them. And actually, um, I've got a Milwaukee Road um, Herald in the back of me here in my office. Uh, It's just a beautiful train. And uh, I actually had the opportunity. So the, the dome car that's on the back of it is something that's just so well designed, and I actually was able to bring that actual, the real um, dome car into Milwaukee for the National Model Railroad Association, 75th anniversary, and we had a party on the back of that train, and it was so, gla- it's so glamorous, um, and actually, I mean, you know, legend has it that, you know, Frank Sinatra traveled on that train, and so I think the, kind of the golden age of passenger travel is very um, interesting to me, and I like it. It's very high style and kind of chic, so I really like our miniature version, and frankly, I actually um, had purchased that for my son, and, and he, um, he and I went and visited that big train, and his room was themed like that for a while. So um, I have a lot of a, a affection for for that train and, and being here in Milwaukee. So,
1: Excellent. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. And so, no problem. As we start to close, if someone wanted to connect further with you, uh, learn more about Walther's and learn more about model railroading, where would you send them?
0: Um, I guess I'd send them to walther's.com, so W-A-L-T-H-E-R-S.com. Uh, That's uh, our site and go to our resources page and look kind of navigate through the getting started if you want to get started. If you want to reach out to us, you can certainly reach out to us at our email address um, that's located right there on the site. Um, You can certainly contact me, Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y-N at walthers.com, especially if you're an educator. Um, and getting started, uh, World's Greatest Hobby also, GreatestHobby.com, I think is a great resource for you. And it might have some of the same information on uh, as we have on our research resource page, but as we all know, repetition helps with learning. So hopefully there's good stuff that you'll see in multiple places that'll help it to, to synthesize.
1: Very much so. And, I, and I'll make sure that all that information is in my show notes so that uh, people listening right now, to, you know, don't have to pull over or stop exercising. You Just go to that, uh, the show notes page and I'll have the uh, links to the websites and, uh, and the contact pages and so forth. So excellent. So, so as we finish up, I've got two questions that I'd like to, to finish up with that have more uh, kind of what I do. So here's the first one. Stacey, if you had the chance to talk with an auditorium filled with brand new teachers who are getting ready to step into the classroom for the first time, what would you want to share with them?
0: Oh, I would just say that you have such an important job, and I'm so grateful that you've chosen this path, um, and your ability to make a difference in the world is profound. Um, I would say be you, connect authentically, and have fun. Engage creatively with your students, and... Uh, their learning styles, and experiment, and your students will rise to your expectations of them, and I believe that you can have high expectations of your students.
1: Excellent. Excellent advice. Love it. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
0: Oh, I've had wonderful teachers in my life, starting with my parents. Uh, they instilled lifelong learning in me. I've had the benefit of learning you know, from an educator mother, and then also from my father. Uh, he and I were able to work together for the last 11 plus years, and I've been learning from them my whole life, and I try to say thank you to them as often as I can. But I have two standout teachers from my schooling, and number one was Mrs. Dooley, who was my third grade teacher. She made reading fun um, through really neat things like Barney the Bookworm around the top of her room, and I don't think I ever read more books than I did that year. And I was also very much able to say thank you to her. I think I had her as like my password on my ATM in college. So I <laughs> I really loved Mrs. Dooley. But then Mr. Swiggum is actually my all-time favorite teacher. He was my choir teacher. Um, That's my passion and my hobby is singing and participating in choir and he's the one that really really pushed um, that high expectation um, button for all of us. Uh, We were doing things in high school that that I didn't think I think a lot of people didn't think was possible and he just had high expectations and we all wanted so badly to rise to the occasion and and I have also stayed in touch with him and I say thank you to him regularly and he even played uh, at my wedding he played the music at my wedding. So um, teachers have such a powerful impact on our world. And um, I've been really lucky to have some great ones.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And and Stacey, thank you for talking uh, about the Walters family, the Walters company, model railroading as a hobby and a perfect and as a perfect teaching tool. You know, what an awesome way to engage kids. Uh, Wishing you the best in all that you do.
0: I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today and thanks so much for listening and thanks for your enthusiasm. I really, it's contagious and it it helps me to get back to my desk and, and feel energized. So thanks.
1: Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. <laughs>